Hi, this is the Creative Table Podcast, where everyone has a seat at the table because we are all creatively made. My name is Stacy, and I am so glad you chose to listen today. Can I tell you a secret? I didn't used to like podcasts. I never listened to one until 2018 when I got into a podcast called Up and Vanished with Payne Lindsay. It was so good, and I got pulled into it right away. Soon, I was listening to so many more. Now, just because I listen to them does not mean I ever had any intention of starting a podcast. I mentioned it in one of my first episodes. My friend Zach over at Transformational Leadership said that I should do a a video blog or a vlog. Absolutely not, I said. It is one thing to speak into a microphone. It is entirely a different thing to be on camera. That was a hard no for me. However, the more he encouraged and the more I talked to others and they encouraged, the more I thought maybe I could do this thing. Never mind, it took almost two years from starting to talk about it to pushing the record button. And that wasn't because I didn't have everything I needed. It was simply fear that was holding me back. Now, not only do I listen to podcasts on a wide variety of subjects, but I also listen to podcasts about podcasting. And I listen to audiobooks about podcasting. I am also in several writing groups for book writing, and the common theme over the past few months has been being known in order to be relatable. Okay, that's a peek behind the curtain. Several of you listening actually know me in person. You know my history, you know my story, yet many of you do not. My hope is that When I say we are all made to be creative, I want that to be something that you believe, if not right away, at least as a process when you listen to the different creative people soon to be on the mic at this table. For that to happen, I have to trust you with my story, and so I'm going to do that today. This might be a little bit longer episode, but I promise I think it'll be worth it. If you have listened to several of the episodes here, you know bits and pieces of my story. Today, I want to share about my son. I want you to hear a little bit of that part of my story. I will tell you right now, this has been a part that God has been pushing me to speak on for a while, but I simply haven't known how to put it all down, how much to share, what to share, and so on. However, today I'm going to share whatever comes out. There are plenty more episodes to share other parts of my story. But today, for now, this is the part about my son. PJ is short for Patrick Joseph. He was born on May 16, 1986. Lots of things were happening on that day. Top Gun premiered in the theaters. Bobby Ewing came back from the dead on the television show Dallas. It was a Friday, and on that day, my most favorite millennial person was born. I would graduate high school just three short weeks later. Now, there's definitely more about how it came to be that I had a child shortly before I turned 18 years old, but that's for another episode. I had PJ at home, and it wasn't a surprise that I did so. It was a choice, and I'm so glad I did it. It isn't for everyone, but for me, with all that was going on in my world at the time, It was the best option, and it kept my anxiety level lower than it could have been. But really, anxiety is always going to be at an all-time high with a first baby. 
Obviously, having a baby before you are 18 means that you're not grown up. So PJ and I sort of got to grow up together. I was an early Generation X kid, and he was an early millennial kid. And together, we figured life out. I was blessed to live with my parents until PJ was two years old. And then it was time to let my mom and dad earn that well-deserved empty nest. So we moved into our first apartment. Those next four years were so hard. I worked a job that was brutal. Remember a few episodes back when I talked about making a commission of one half of 1%? This was that time period. PJ went to a private preschool and then ultimately to a private school. We made our way for better or for worse, and we were buddies. Not the most optimal parent-child situation, but until the rocket scientist came along, it was just PJ and me. In 1992, the rocket scientist and I got married, and the three of us became a family. It wasn't easy, and I had to give up a lot of control. But somehow, we had to figure out this new rhythm of family. We would soon learn that, due to a significant hearing loss in kindergarten, PJ would navigate the world of dyslexia, dyscalculia, and dysgraphia. It was a lot. There were a lot of tears cried, both from me and PJ. There was a lot of testing and a lot of tutoring. We had an amazing tutor for him. She taught him all of the tricks to work with these challenges. Ultimately, we ended up choosing to homeschool him starting in fourth grade. And it was a good choice, even if he didn't always think so. He was active in church, in music, and he played golf. And those things were his social outlets. Fast forward to his college years. And PJ chose to take um, two gap years attending a Christian leadership Bible school in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. Ravencrest is in Estes Park, and it was a pivotal time for him. There were some rough relational moments for us as a family and for PJ with friends. Yet God was already in those mountains before we ever left him there that first year. As a side note, if you are a mama who's getting ready to take your your baby to college, please know that copious amounts of tears are just fine. I bawled my eyes out as we drove from Estes Park until almost the New Mexico border. They only slowed down when I could no longer see the mountains in the passenger side mirror. It was in his second year at Ravencrest that PJ met his soon-to-be wife. And what a blessed gift she has been. She is the daughter of our hearts, and we couldn't love her more if she were our very own. Ruth ended up moving down here to Tucson after that school year, and it was another sweet kiss from God because she was from Wisconsin. And in case you didn't know it, Arizona and Wisconsin are not close in proximity. That would be in God's plan much later as well. In November of 2006, PJ asked Ruth to marry him. And in July of 2007, yes, July in the desert, they said, I do. Then came a house and dogs and two rats and a snake, completion of college degrees And soon they would share the big news of the addition to their family of our amazing grandson in 2014. And then the fall of 2015 came. PJ had just been hired on at a big defense company here in town, but had not yet started working. 
He had put in his notice at the global mining company he was at and was looking forward to this next big step, a huge step in his career. One day, after Ruth had picked the baby up and headed home, which, looking back, I should have known something was up because she left quickly, wouldn't look me in the eyes, and didn't say much. PJ came to the house, sat down, and told me he had cancer. They had just been at the doctor, and a biopsy was scheduled. I wish I knew how to put into words the speed at which my mind and heart were racing after that. How do you process your only child telling you he has cancer? I couldn't fix this as badly as I wanted to. I couldn't pray it away, wish it away, hug it away, cuss it away. It was out of my hands, and that is not a place any mom wants to be when their child is sick. I remember trying so hard not to cry. I remember PJ saying, there's no need for tears. I'm still here, and we are going to fight this. I wondered what he was truly thinking. I wondered if he would ever tell us what he was truly thinking. But for that moment, on that day, I simply moved over to the couch next to him and hugged him. I prayed over with him and hugged him some more. I whispered my begging cries to God and rubbed my child's head. And when PJ left to go home, and while I waited for the rocket scientist to get home from work, I threw up what felt like everything I had consumed for the week. It wouldn't be the last time that would happen. God created the body in a magnificent way, and fight or flight is no joke. There was nowhere to flee, but my body was preparing to do so anyway. And so, as a family, we rallied. That's what we have always done. It is what we will always do. We gathered our inner circles around each of us individually and as a family unit. We started prayer updates on a Facebook page, and we watched God move in ways that we are still learning about. In the midst of this job change and no insurance, we watched him pull together an amazing insurance plan for their whole little family that covered so much of the expense. We watched fundraisers come together from across the country, and we watched our family become even tighter than we were before. Now, this cancer was awful, and I try not to think about things that I would have done differently, which let me tell you, I do think those things often. As a parent, it just is what you do. But the one thing that I am 100% glad I did not do was look up the odds or the details on this type of cancer. PJ had squamous cell carcinoma with the main tumor on his tongue. We were told that they would do surgery to remove the tumor and maybe reconstruct the tongue depending on how much they had to take. They would also remove many lymph nodes from that side of the neck. He would then heal and go through radiation. The surgeon said that should take care of it. And foolishly, we believed. And we watched God move more. The three days following the surgery were horrid as far as pain. And while we watched him struggle with physical pain, I also watched him struggle with the pain of not knowing if the new employer would want him after this. So much so that he was avoiding phone calls from his new boss, a man that he had only met a few times. At one point, his boss called and PJ's wife answered and was simply stuck at that point. She shared basic information of what was happening. And this man turned out to be Jesus with skin on in those days. He asked to speak to PJ and told him 
that he was now part of the family and that he needed to heal and take as much time as that was going to take. They would make accommodations for him and so much more. He made sure there was pay coming in even while PJ was getting treatments. He made sure PJ knew he was a believer and he was praying for him. Again, it was like God was preparing and tending the soil of hope and joy. Obviously, if you have read the blog or listened to the podcast, you know that surgery and radiation were not the simple remedies. We would watch PJ battle for 19 months, surgery, radiation, chemo. We would be in the hospital for a total of four weeks the following May and June while we fought to get PJ out of a malnourished state with a feeding tube and new pain management. We would sit for hours with a nutritionist as she walked us through the calories he needed and how to provide those through home-cooked organic tube food. And thank goodness she too was a believer and prayed with us and checked in often on how it was going. I learned that I really did need math after high school, as each week I would steam, bake, blend, freeze, and seal all of the nutrition he needed to put through that damn tube each week. We would watch the tumors in his neck show up, grow, and then shrink, and then grow some more. It was a maddening nightmare that none of us could escape. We, ca- we became friends with oncology nurses and doctors. We learned about so many medications. We learned about wound care and about manuka honey and about aloe vera and about seaweed for healing. Ruth and I became virtual nurses without school, but we did it. And God showed up in all of it. In the panic of laying down each night trying to sleep and not being able to because we were so worried something would happen in the middle of the night. In the dozing in and out with the phone by my ear in case he sent a text so I could run down the hall and help if needed. God was there even when it felt like he was a million miles away. On Mother's Day of 2017, May 14th, we had to make the hard call to place him in hospice. We initially thought we would go to the inpatient facility just down the road for a day simply to get the pain under control, and then he would come back to our house, where their little family had been staying. That was not to be, as his pain was not going to be managed in a way that we could do so from home. And yet God was there. If you want to see angels here on earth, go meet a hospice nurse. They are truly the breath of God when all of the air is pulled from your lungs. PJ turned 31 two days after entering hospice. We celebrated with flowers and balloons and singing and a can of Pepsi, which is what he wanted. His best friends came in at night and played video games with him, played guitar and sang worship songs with him. His best friend ended up staying overnight with him each night so that Ruth and I could sleep. These were the sweet moments surrounded by pain. I wrote these words the day before he died. May 24th, morning. Another peaceful night is behind us, and again, we keep laying PJ and the number of his days at the feet of Christ. Last night, things were a bit loud until about 1 a.m. as a large family gathered in the building. PJ slept through, and I was reminded of his teenage years when he slept through any noise. I am watching him sleep this morning and picturing that the father is holding him on his lap with the son and the spirit holding his hands and caressing his head. This is the only right thing about the circumstances. 
that he is held by the one who knows what this feels like and can comfort PJ and us better than anyone knows how to. One of PJ's favorite Christian authors is G.K. Chesterton. Two peas in a pod, he and his dad. If you haven't ever read anything of his, there are a few quotes worth reading. He is worth the effort. At least it is an effort to me to read. And I find that I see our son in many of his writings. The next day, PJ would be gone. And these were the words I would write then. May 25th, 2017, at 6.17 p.m., Patrick Joseph Donald Allen left the presence of his earthly father and was immediately present with his heavenly father. We now walk with a strange joy for him and a bit of envy, as well as an unwelcome understanding of agony. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And regarding the question, friends, that has come up about what happens to those who, who are already dead and buried, we don't want you to be in the dark any longer. First off, you must not carry on over them like people who have nothing to look forward to, as if the grave were the last word. Since Jesus died and broke loose from the grave, God will most certainly bring back to life those who died in Jesus. We can tell you with complete confidence, we have the Master's word on it, that when the Master comes again to get us, those of us who are still alive will not get a jump on the dead and leave them behind. In actual fact, they'll be ahead of us. The Master himself will give the command, Archangel, thunder, God's trumpet blast. He'll come down from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise. They'll go first. Then the rest of us, who are still alive at the time, will be caught up with them into the clouds and meet the Master. Oh, we'll be walking on air. And then there will be one huge family reunion with the Master. So reassure one another with these words. I wish I could tell you that I handled the days, the months, and the years that followed with grace and dignity. I did not. I can tell you that I have used the F-bomb far more in the last four years than I ever did before. I have so many bleep-worthy moments, and I don't feel any shame over them either. I know it can make people feel uncomfortable, just like the tears that I'm crying right now. And quite frankly, I don't care. If you are in a situation where someone is in deep grief from a loss, and that grief makes you uncomfortable, please just sit in that. Our being uncomfortable is a cakewalk compared to what they are walking through. And God is in the grief. He is in the pain. He is in the dirt and the yuck of the swearing and the screaming. And the fact that life, who we are, will never be the same. I will never be the same person I was before he died. And that's okay, because God is still God even though I am not still the same Stacy as I was in 2014. Remember how I said that God was in Estes Park and in Ruth moving here to Tucson, even though her family and a twin sister are in Wisconsin? Well, God knew all of this would happen. He even knew the timing. He is not a far off God. He is a right next to us, God, a carrying us when we can't walk God. 
In his perfect timing, even though I was not ready at all, God brought the man who would be Ruth's husband into her life within that year. In 2020, they were married, and we have come to love him and see him as a bonus son. He doesn't replace PJ. No one ever could. And yet, there's a sweetness to having a boy around again. God was there in the midst of that, way back in 2006, when she moved to the desert. This part of my story that I share with PJ, and much of it with the rest of our family, it's hard to write. It's hard to talk about. It's simply hard. I will probably always cry, and I will always ache. A part of me is gone. Things have changed. I have changed. I stick to the saying that the pain will always be there, but life gets bigger around it. That doesn't diminish it. The light simply shines brighter, especially when it seems darkest around you. This afternoon, I was thinking about hope and joy and the things that cause those to grow. It's not the easy times, the flat ground, so to speak. It's the hard times, the times you can't even think about taking a breath, much less putting one foot in front of the other. The thing about deep grief is that somehow, some way, you have to find hope. And when you find it, you hold on to it. You see, hope is stubborn, like a deep-rooted tree. And once it takes hold, it grows stronger. And most of the time, it grows deep and strong because those around us are feeding the soil and deeply watering the ground. It is through and by the hope of those supporting us that our hope grows. And then, later, when the flood waters of grief arrive, unannounced, we hold on with all the strength we can muster to the deeply rooted, stubborn hope. All is not lost after all. For we realize that the fertile, unseen soil that hope is rooted in is actually joy. So there, that's a part of my story. I'm determined to share more of the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's how you will get to know me. It's how you will know that when I say I hurt with you or I rejoice with you, I really mean it. God walks us through storms so we can walk with others through their storms. So that we can show others, you might be bruised and battered, but you will make it because God is in it with you. I know this may have been a hard listen, but again, I won't apologize for it. It is my story. It is the one that God has chosen to write. It's a hard listen. It was a hard recording. And nevertheless, I'm still going to end this episode with the way I always do. Until next time. Go out and find a creative way to make someone smile.